You see, we're we're still in the Fourth of July week. Actually, we've come to the first of the next week, but we're still in that. This month, we've called it a month of freedom. We want to see increase in freedom. You say, well, if you're free, how can you be any more free? Well, we're going to talk about that this morning, okay? We're going to we're going to see some things today, and uh, so freedom. If you look at it this way, the F R E D O M F R E E D O M free means that you have the ability, and you're in a situation to where you can do what you want to do. And the end of that dumb D O M is talking about a state or an old English term, a kingdom. Kingdom means a domain of some kind. So when we talk about freedom, we're free where we are to do whatever we want to do. Isn't that what free would mean? Come on now, y'all help me out this morning. It's okay. We're free. God has made us free. Jesus set us free. But the title of my message today is, Why Are We Free? Why we are free. <laughs> I can't even read my own notes. Why, why we are free. Not why are we free. We know we're free because of Jesus' death. But why? Why are we set free? Now, I want us to go to John. Pat, these guys, I think these guys, they get in my notes through the week and find out what I'm going to preach about on that Sunday. Then they use the Scripture trying to make me look bad. No, they're not doing that. But in John chapter 8, Verse 32 and 33, we're going to go there first. John chapter 8. The the verse before that, Jesus is talking to a group of people that are new believers. They just started believing on Him. And, And He said, If you abide in My Word, then you are My disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free make you free. Then verse 33 says, They answered and said, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Next verse. Sorry about this, Luke. Most assuredly I say unto you, whoever commits sins, a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So we're talking about being free. And... uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. We're going to go ahead and read this scripture now. We'll come back to it later. Hebrews 9, 14 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Now, we'll come back to that verse in a few minutes. But I want to talk about three states of freedom. And when I talk about three states of freedom, I'm not talking about the free state of Winston, okay? Y'all all know about that, don't you? Winston County, during the Civil War, they said that we're not going to go along with the rest of the South. We're going to be our own people. And for years, they did not consider themselves part of Alabama. They were in Alabama, but they were not part of Alabama, and they became known as the free state of Winston. I think Walker County and Lawrence County did some of the same kind of thing. But anyway, that's not what we're talking about. Three states of freedom... 
is, number one, as we have been made free from the penalty of sin. Now, folks, that happened when Jesus died on the cross and we accepted Jesus into our life as Lord and Savior of our life. We received His forgiveness. We were made free from the penalty of sin, which is death. We know that Adam sinned, and sin passed upon all men, and, and then death is a result of sin. But when we accepted Jesus in our life, we were delivered from that penalty or that bondage of death, and that's not talking about physical death, because, you know, we're all going to die at some point in time unless the rapture takes place, and then that's a whole different discussion. But we're all going to die. I was talking with my uh, Loretta's oldest brother yesterday and some things that he wanted me to do to help him out with a, a Loretta's twin sister. And he told me, he said, she's looking to me for all this stuff, but he said, I'm going to die. I said, well, yeah, you are. <laughs> Of course, you know, I, I told him, I said, probably not tomorrow. He said, well, I wouldn't be surprised. I said, well, you know, whatever. But anyway, we're all going to die. It's not talking about physical death. Now, this physical death came about, and it started being at earlier ages because of sin and spiritual death. But what he's talking about is when he told Adam and Eve that in the day that you eat thereof, you shall die, he's talking about spiritual death, separation from God, eternal torment, eternal punishment. And this is what he's talking about. But when I made Jesus Lord of my life, even though my spirit man was dead, I was renewed and made alive in him and delivered from that penalty of death. I'm made free from the penalty of sin, which is death. Then another state that we find ourselves in in relation to freedom is that we are being made free from the power and bondage of sin. Now, as you, if you took the Scripture in uh, John chapter 8, verse 32, and looked it up in the, in the Greek and studied it out and put it all together, and I'm not a Greek scholar, but I can do that, okay? I, anything that I'm not a scholar in, I know there's books that will help me understand that. And if nothing else, I can find a YouTube video it will, okay? <laughs> find it somewhere. We can get it. You know, we live in a marvelous day of information. And it's good, can be bad, but it's good, the things that, that we can find that will help us. But anyhow, I studied this out, and this verse in the original Greek says this that if you continue my word, you'll know the truth, and the truth shall continually make you free. Now, I believe in, in that when I made Jesus Lord of my life, I was set free. I was made free. I became a free person. Not only was I free from the bondage and power of death, the death of sin, but I became free. But now... It's just like if you go back and study when, after the Civil War, when President Lincoln freed the slaves, they had to learn how to be free. They were free, but they had to learn how to be free. And, and it's the same way with us. I'm free. Jesus made me free. But what I want to do the rest of my life is learn how to live in that freedom. 
to grow in that freedom, to understand the freedom that I have. And see, many places in the Bible, he, he talks about it being liberty. So, not only have I been made free, but because of this tense of this Greek verb, I'm continually being made free. Because, let me tell you something, folks. When I got saved, I didn't quit doing everything I ever did bad. Did you? I mean, it had been good if that had happened. And that since we got saved, we never did anything bad. <laughs> I know a few people that's done that. A couple of them said they did. But uh, I've had people on their deathbed to make Jesus Lord of their life, and then in a few hours they'd be dead. I've had that to happen, and I believe they were just as saved as I am. But anyhow, what I'm saying is this. It would have been wonderful if everything that we had got in a habit of doing and all of these kind of things had to stop instantly, if our personality had to change. Can, wouldn't it be nice if somebody that has a gruff personality, when they get saved, their personality gets saved right then with them? Well, in essence, it does, but it takes a growth process out of that. I'm going to pick on Pat. He picked on Genius. I'm going to pick on him. He's a prime example of it. <laughs> I knew him before he got saved. His attitude wasn't good, was it, Ron? And since he's been saved, I mean, it was a change, but it's progressively got better and better and better and better. And, and it's not just him. We could say that about each one of us, couldn't we? So I'm being made, I'm learning how to live in the freedom that he's given me. Now, that's, that's, that's the best way I know to do it. I was a slave. Romans chapter 7 says we were, we were slaves in bondage, sold under sin. Folks, we were on the auction block waiting for the bid to finish, and Jesus come along and said, I'll buy him. Set us free. Made us free. Now I'm learning how to be free. And you'd think, well, well, Pastor, after 49 years, you hadn't learned it yet. I, I know a whole lot more than I did. But I'm still learning I'm still growing. I'm still understanding the things of God. And that's what freedom is all about. See, I'm made free. Now then I'm free to learn how to be free. And then another state of freedom is when we're completely delivered, set free from the very presence of sin. Now, folks, I, I was talking with my nephew Tim the other day. And he was talking about, he said, Uncle David, he said, I go to church and all they talk about is heaven. And he said, that wouldn't be bad in itself, but the only thing they talk about in heaven is my son that's over there, my granny there, or my aunt, my uncle, my daddy, somebody like that. And, and he said, they base all of their, their thing on who's in heaven. And he said, look, I got relatives in heaven. He said, my mama's in heaven. He loved his mama dearly, too, I want you to know. He said, my mama's in heaven. My grandfathers and grandmothers on both sides of my family are all in heaven. He said, they're all over there. He said, but that's not what makes it heaven. Jesus is what makes it heaven. I said, you're right, Tim. I agree with you. He said, we need to learn how to live here. Well, and I agreed with him. We do need to learn how to live here. But I think so many times we lose sight of the preaching of the gospel of heaven. We get so mindful of living now on this earth. And I enjoy living now. Don't get me wrong. But, folks, this is not the end of the story. Down here, 
I still have to fight giants. I have to battle demons. I have to deal with temptation. I have to deal with pain and sickness and disease. I have to weep tears because of sadness and, and all of these kind of things. Now in this life, even though I'm an overcomer, folks, I'm telling you, the struggle is still real, but I'm still a victor. <laughs> but one of these days, mm-mm-mm, one of these days, I'm going to be in a place for sin will never be present again. I'm talking about wonderful. Can you imagine? Can you imagine sister getting up in the morning and not hurting? Wouldn't that be heaven? Yes. <laughs> and and it, you're not hurting because you took something. You're not hurting because you're in heaven. You got a glorified body and and, and you're whole again. You're. I, I believe. The Bible says that when we, we don't know what we'll be like, and so, there, you know, we can speculate, but we really can't draw a picture around it. But we do know that when we see Him, we'll be like Him, for then we'll see Him as He is. And I'm going to tell you something. I believe when we see Jesus and this body's changed and into that immortal, glorified body, we're going to be about 33 or 34 years old. We're going to be about medium height, medium build, and we're going to be that way forever. You say, preacher, you're dreaming. Let me dream, okay? Let me dream. <laughs> yeah, my dream, you stay out of it. You're not Freddie. But anyway, <laughs> where'd that come from? Free. Free from the very presence of sin, sickness, and disease. Let me tell you some things that's not going to be in heaven, okay? Can I tell you this real quick? There's not going to be any hospitals in heaven. There's not going to be any doctors. Not Doctors are not Christians and they'll go to heaven, but they won't be practicing medicine in heaven. And I'll tell you something, there won't be any undertakers or funeral homes or funeral possessions. There won't be no graves to dig. All of that's going to be gone. Hey, I'll tell you something else too. There's not going to be any preachers in heaven. We're not going to be preaching when we get to heaven, folks. You know, you're not going to go sit in a church service and hear a boring message for 30, 45 minutes. Aren't you glad? <laughs> Freedom, that's it. Freedom. Because, <laughs> listen, Paul said, here, here we know in part. That's the reason we come, that we get preached to, we, we get taught, we learn, we know in part, but then shall we know, even as we are known. Folks, I'm talking about a place of super beauty, a place of complete bliss, a place where the, that there's no any of this junk down here whatsoever going on, and, and he said that, that if you come there crying, he's going to wipe all tears from your eyes. And he said, if you come there burdened down with all this stuff, he said, all the former things will pass away. It'll all be gone. We won't, we won't be having any of these problems. There'll, there'll not be any wayward children or, or marriage problems or our bosses to have to get up and look in the face on Monday morning. Won't be any of that. Matter of fact, there won't be any Mondays in heaven either. Why? Because time. It's just not going to be relevant when we get to heaven. I don't believe there will be any calendars, any clocks. I remember many years ago, Bill Gaither uh, came out with a kid's song. 
And on that song it says, I'm making my list of things that won't be in heaven. It's talking about won't be any traffic jams, won't be any flat tires, we'll never run out of gas in heaven, you know. Won't be any any teachers, this little child saying this, won't be any teachers in heaven, principal's office, those kind of things. But I'm talking about, folks, we can't compare heaven with anything on this earth. And everything on this earth, as good as it can be, will never be what heaven is. Because I'm going to tell you something, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. All of this stuff's going to be passed away. And and everything, Sin is the very reason that everything went south from creation. But the Lord's going to redeem that and completely abolish sin out of any kind of existence forever and forever and forever. Aren't you glad about that? Well, give the Lord a hand clap. Amen. Now, preach past my subject. (laughs) That's pretty good preaching, though. you got to admit, I'm telling you. Two reasons, now there's a lot of them, but two reasons that I wanted to deal with, we're going to deal with one of them today and we'll get the other one next week, two reasons for being made free. Why? Why we are free? Two reasons. And see, Jesus did not deliver us from the bondage of sin so that we can do as we want to. Now that's the connotation that we put with freedom so many times. He didn't do that just so we can do like we want to, live like we want to, act like we want to, and say, oh, I'm free. Paul said in Galatians 5, don't use your liberty as an excuse. Peter said that also in Second Peter. He said, don't use your liberty as something to, to, as an excuse to just do what you want to because even in your liberty, the works of the flesh are still the works of the flesh. So we need to realize that. But, I want us to look back. The example of Israel being delivered from Egypt is a prime example of why we're free. So let's look at that. In, in, in uh, Exodus chapter 3, verse 12, Moses now, you know the story. He's out on the mount, and uh, he uh, sees the burning bush. He comes to the burning bush, and God speaks to him out of that bush. And in, and in Exodus chapter 3, verse 12, says, So he said, I will certainly be with you. This is God talking to Moses. Moses said, you know. But this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Exodus seven sixteen, And you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to serve you, saying, Let my people go that they may serve me, serve me in the wilderness, but indeed, up until now, you will not hear he's talking to Pharaoh. Exodus 8, 1, And the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Then the Lord said to Moses in Exodus 9, 1, Exodus 9, 1, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and tell him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. And then one more, Exodus 9, 13, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. Now, at least this many times and others, God said to Pharaoh and to Moses, I want my people out of Egypt so they can serve me. 
Now, and the same thing is still true today. We have been made free for the purpose of serving our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We've not been made free just so we can just sit back and, you know, and, and, and think that we're going to go to heaven and just everything's going to be okay. Let me tell you something. Every person that was in Egypt, that was an Israelite, it was God's intention to bring them out from Egypt, bring them and put them into their own land, their own place, we call that the promised land, for the purpose of serving Him, of being a people that would serve Him, that would be obedient to Him, that would follow Him, that would move with Him, that would walk with Him. And we know that it took, it took 40 years to get some rebellion out of them, to get some unbelief out of them, to where that they would come into this land and then serve God. But then when they got over there, they still had a struggle with this thing. Now, they had come under the law. They'd come under the law of sacrifice and the covenant of circumcision and, and these kind of things. They had come under that. And so what they would do so many times, they would realize that they were not serving God like they needed to. So they would come and they would have a nationwide revival and they'd offer up all of these offerings and sacrifices and things of this nature and they'd make a vow that we're going to serve God. They'd serve God a while and then they'd go back the other way. They'd come back, serve God a while, then they'd go the other way. Serve God a while, then they'd go the other way. Sound like modern-day full gospel folks sometimes. Or Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian or non-denominational people. Now, we don't have anybody like that here, but just in case there's somebody listening this that way. <laughs> every person, let me tell you, every person that has been born again is born again for a purpose, and that purpose is to serve God. I remember my daddy had a radio program many, many years ago. I think I was about 15, 16 years old, and so... He had a radio program on WKUL on, at uh, Coleman on Sunday morning at 9, at 9 o'clock. He had a 30-minute program. He'd leave there, then drive on out to uh, Bethel to a church out there and preach that morning. But the, the, the song that was the theme song for that program that Daddy had, the title of his program was Born to Serve the Lord. And it wasn't talking about the natural birth. But it was talking about the physical, uh, spiritual birth. And in the song, if I can remember some of the words, it says, My hands were made to help my neighbor. My eyes were made to see God's Word. My feet were made to walk in His footsteps. My body is the temple of the Lord. For I was made in His likeness, created in His image. I was born to serve the Lord. And I've thought about that a lot of times. See, I, of course, our natural birth, I believe God wants everybody that's ever lived on the face of this earth, that's alive now, ever will be, to be a Christian, to be a believer, and serving Him in some capacity. Now, everybody needs to make up their mind, hey, I'm going to do something to serve God. Now, I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of ways to serve God. You can serve God by being a good neighbor. You can serve God by one way by being a witness. He wants us to be a witness. And you can serve God by being a witness. You can serve God by worshiping. You can serve God by coming to church. I believe God ordains churches. I believe God ordains congregations for us to be in. You can serve God by helping out around here. 
You say, well, there's nothing to do. Have you asked? You know, there's things to do. And, you know, there's things that, that needs to be done around the church. And I'm not going to go into a laundry list of all the things, uh, but I will tell you this. We're going to see this more and more. I uh, was able to meet with the architect on Friday, finally, and uh, he came. And so in a couple of weeks, we're going to have the, the, the drawings for, for our expansions on the building. And, and as we get moving into that, there's going to be things to do. There's things to do now. There's nursery to keep and, and, and to help in. There's children's church to help in. There's teens to help in. There's small groups to be a part of. You know, you can serve in a small group by being in a small group and going to those meetings and enjoying that fellowship with each other. That's serving the Lord. You could, you could go to the nursing home and visit somebody that don't have family to come and see them. And you say, well, I don't know anybody there. You go ask. They'll point you to somebody. I promise you they will. And you can serve the Lord this way. We try to supply the thoughtful nursing home uh, with things that they can give, little stuffed animals, uh, lotions and things like that, that they can give out when they play their bingo thing over there. And, uh, and so we, we supply. See, there's a lot of ways that we can serve God if we're just really wanting to serve God. And let me tell you this. You're born again. You've been set free. God delivered the children of Israel for the purpose, and He said it time and time and time again, so that they may serve me. Amen? I mean, we read you several instances. But as I was studying this this week, I, I come to realize that one reason that so many people don't serve and don't get involved in serving God is because they have trouble with their conscience. Hebrews 9.14, we read this earlier, but we want to read it again. Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now, as I told you, when they came into the land, they came under the law, they would do sacrifices, they would get in sin, but they could never get past the guilt and the consciousness of sin because the blood of animals could not cleanse their conscience. It could not rid them from all of that. David even said in one of his psalms, he said, Lord, deliver me from this guiltiness that I feel all the time. Deliver me from this. Well, they didn't have the ability to come under that even though they prayed for it. But you and I have that ability because of the blood of Jesus Christ to be delivered from a guilty conscience. I learned something this week. <laughs> I remembered back to my high school, uh, well, before high school days, the word conscience was a word that I had a lot of problem with learning how to spell. Because you know there's two words that's pronounced conscious. There's conscious and conscience. <laughs> the word, <laughs> a woman asked her son one day, said, do you know the difference between conscious and conscience? He said, yes, ma'am, I do. One conscious is spelled C-O-N-S-C-I-O-U-S, and it means when you're aware of something. The other conscience, C-O-N-S-C-I-E-N-C-E, -E, is when you wished you weren't. Conscious is the process of thought which distinguishes 
what it considers morally good or bad, commending the good, condemning the bad, so prompting to do the good and not the bad. It means to be aware. The Greek people in that day, the Greek-speaking people, when this word that they would use, they used it to describe the pain that you feel when you do wrong. Anybody, anybody associate with that? I mean, if you don't do any wrong, you don't associate that with that. Now, there's only two ways. Either you don't do any wrong or your conscience has got seared. So we don't we want to stay away from that seared conscience, even though we're going to talk about it in a few minutes. But so many times we let the consciousness of sin. Sometimes the devil will use it of, of our past sin. And he'll start this stuff, you're not worthy. You're not good enough. You remember what you said, what you did, how you acted. And, and look here, people's not going to pay any attention to you. They know your background. Boy, they know where you came from. You ever heard that, J.J.? <laughs> from the devil and people? <laughs> and when people say that, they don't realize it, but they're allowing the devil to speak through them to bring us to a point to where our conscience gets guilty to the point to where we just sit and say, what's the use, and just give up and don't do anything. But folks, as long as there's a, an understanding of doing right, we can know that we're following the right direction and listening to the right voice so that we do the right things. See, that, and that's all God wants us to do. How many times have you said to your children, all you've got to do is what's right? I said that to my children a lot. And the reason I did, because there was a man in my life named Leroy Carroll, he said it to me with emphasis. Now, he didn't curse or anything like that, but his emphasis was either a belt or a strap or a hickory limb. Emphasize. Son, all you got to do, if you don't want to get whipped again, just do what's right. And as hard as I'd try, it seemed like it'd come to a point where I wouldn't do what's right. Y'all there? Y'all know what I'm talking about? But I'm going to tell you something. Even in that, he never made me feel like I wasn't his son. Any kind of unworthiness, any kind of feeling that you're not accepted by God, God's not doing that. Even though time and again he says, all you've got to do is what's right. That's all you've got to do. See, we're, 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 not, we're not trying to get free because we serve a set of rules. That puts you in bondage again. Matter of fact, the word religion is what a lot of this has been talked about. Religion. The Latin word that religion came from means a return to bondage. I don't want to be religious. I, I want to learn how to be free in this liberty wherewith I've been made free. And when, when things come up and I do something wrong... I want to go to Him and say, Jesus, I thank You that Your blood has cleansed me, cleansed my conscience from this dead work that I can serve the living God. Serve Him without fear, without any retribution or anything like that. And, and, and Satan then is not able to come and say, God's not going to use you. God's not going to have anything to do with you. I want you to know today, I stand before You. I'm like Paul, and here's my endeavor. I'm sure Paul... Paul had times that he had problems with people and situations. Matter of fact, he and Barnabas got in a disagreement one time so stout 
that he and Barnabas parted company. Paul went one way, Barnabas went another way. But later on, Paul repented of that. And then he stood before a council and he said, Men, in all good conscience, I've done my best not to offend God or man. He stood there. But listen, Paul was a man that had problems just like you and I do. He was not, he didn't reach perfection the moment he got saved. No, no. He said in one place, he said, I've not got there yet. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, I'm cleansing my conscience from all of this stuff that is behind, and I'm reaching forth for the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. See, Paul was the best Hebrew there was going. He was the best Jew of that day. He even talked about that, boasted in that thing. He said, but all of this I counted just like compost that come out of the outhouse for the excellency of the glory of God. And then he stood and said, look, my conscience is clear. Another place he said, I've wronged no man. Wait a minute, Paul, you put people to death. How can you say you wronged no man? Why? How could he do that? Because his conscience had been clean through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's how he could say it. Now then, he's free to serve the living God. And he, that's the same thing he's done for you and me. I want to close this morning with, and talk about four types of consciences. One, there's a good conscience. Aren't you glad? Everybody say, my belief. Come on. My belief. I have a good conscience. All right. In 1 Timothy 1.19, he said, Having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. Faith and a good conscience. That, in other words, Paul said, I've got faith, and I hold that because of the blood of Jesus Christ, and my conscience is clear conscience is clear. See, a good conscience is very sensitive to the things of God. It provides sound direction. It helps you know the way to go. I mean, it, it, it comes down to that sometimes, and, and I'm not talking about something to replace the Holy Spirit because it works with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit works through this, okay? So don't, don't think I'm trying to replace the Holy Spirit because I'm not. But sometimes it's that that something within you that gives you that impression, this is what you need to do, or you don't need to do that, or you need to go this way, or you need to see that. That's, that's direct the Holy Spirit directing you through your conscience, and you know it's the right thing to do. I know there's been times that, that the Lord has given me direction, and it come to me, and my conscience was there involved, and I'd think, is that you, Lord? And a couple of times I've even rebuked it because I, didn't, I knew that couldn't be of God, but it was. There's a struggling conscience. There's, there's a time when we don't know what's right or wrong. And we've all gone through those stages since we were saved, since Jesus came into our life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 7 through 12, he said, and he's talking here about a weak believer's conscience, or their their ability to, to get things in the proper perspective. And in dealing with this, it talks about a weak conscience, but it also shows us that we feel like we're more mature Christians, a responsibility we have to help them in their weak conscience. He says, however, there's not in everyone that knowledge. He's talking about being able to do things and it not bother you. For some, with conscience of the idol, eat until... Until now eat is a thing offered to idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. 
In other words, they see people do things, they see this, they feel like that's wrong, and they see mature Christians do something, or people that profess to be mature, and, and it seems like it's not right, and it bothers them. They have a weak conscience. Uh, but food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we any better. If we don't eat, are we the worse? But beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound the weak conscience, you sin against Christ. And let me tell you what that's saying. That's saying that if somebody that is just weak, born, just say maybe just got born again, and they look and they see and they just know that something's wrong. They just sense that in them. But to see, well, let's just let me use some example here, okay? Uh, let's say Bill is the weak Christian. And he's got an idea in his mind that I don't need to do this. But Gary's a mature Christian, and Gary feels in his mind that it's not a problem for me to do this. You follow what I'm saying? And you say, well, what kind of things are they that's that way? I don't know, but they're out there. Okay, I hadn't got, you know, they're there. But anyhow, since we're supposing, just go ahead and play along with me, okay? But Bill feels that he don't need to be doing that. But yet, Gary is able to do this because his conscience is not condemning him. But Bill does it, and his conscience eats him alive because he does this feeling that it's wrong. Now, folks, anything that you feel that is wrong, you don't need to be doing it regardless of what anybody else does. Okay? You don't need to be doing it if you feel it's wrong. And, and if you read over in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it talks about how that we as mature Christians are need to be aware of the of the weaker Christian and and call and not cause them to stumble. But if you feel like that you're stumbling today, understand this, even your weak conscience, your conscience that has been had problems, that conscience is made clean through the blood of Jesus Christ. You're set free from that guilty conscience to serve the living God. And then there's a soul conscience. And what that means in Titus chapter 1, verse 15, he said, To the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience are defiled. That defiled conscience is a soul conscience. It's when we do things that we know is wrong, our conscience becomes defiled and sin with sin and cannot judge rightly. When we do things that we know is wrong, Say things that we know is wrong. And, and go back to that thing of offense. Paul said, I, I've not offended nobody. That was his belief. I've not offended anyone. And so many times we get this attitude, well, I don't care whether it offends them or not. I'm going to say it or do it or whatever. No, when we get that way, then we're wrong. I'm concerned about what people think about me because it affects my relationship with them and could affect their relationship with God. Those people are going to find fault with you regardless. It don't make any difference. People's going to find fault with you. But you still got to walk in the knowledge you have with your conscience clear and clean before Almighty God. But when you do things that you know is wrong, it may be a secret sin. 
And you know it's wrong, but you keep doing it. And you keep doing it. Because it's so easy to do this when there's nobody looking. When you're not at home, when you're somewhere else. It's so easy to do that. It's so easy to listen to gossip whenever we dress it up and say it's a prayer request. And, you know, those kind of things. It's so, but we know it's wrong. We know it's wrong. We know it's wrong. And our conscience becomes defiled. And we're not able to serve God as God has called us to do. And then the last kind that I want to talk about is the seared conscience. And First Timothy four two, he says in this that in verse one it says the Spirit speaketh expression in latter days some shall depart the faith, speak giving speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, and he gives us admonition from such turn away, because they go into a whole lot of other things they they command you to abstain from meats that God intended to be received with thanksgiving and and not to marry, and, and there's, there's a whole lot of things that goes in that. But having their own conscience seared, why? Because they don't follow the truth, and they speak lies and hypocrisy. A seared conscience is the worst state possible. Seared conscience is the next step from the soiled or defiled conscience. Having your conscience seared to where that it becomes hardened and is no longer works and it's not sensitive to what's right. It only cares about what's wrong. Seared. And it can happen in so many different ways. And, you know, people people look at folks and say, you don't have any conscience. Well, I know a lot of times we say that in jest. But, folks, there's people that just does not have any moral character or fiber to them at all. And I'm not talking about just politicians or movie stars or entertainers or some stupid comedian. I'm sorry, Lord. Some comedian that acts stupid, okay? There's so many of them that that seems like their conscience is seared. They have no sense of right. Any way whatsoever. And you say, well, were they Christians that were that way? That's up to God to judge, okay? That's up to Him to take care of, not me. But I do know this, that if I'm going to serve God because I've been set free to serve God, He made me free to serve Him. I was born again to serve the Lord. I want to do everything I can to keep the blood of Jesus Christ applied and cleansing my conscience from dead work so I can serve the living God. Don't you? Folks, you know, I'm free, but not free to do like I want to. I'm free to serve God. And I'm free to do that with a good, clear conscience. If I start letting my conscience get weak or soiled, I know where the blood of Jesus is. And he says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Aren't you glad? You love the Lord? Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, how we thank You today for Your Word. Lord, we thank You for what You've done in this service this morning to our hearts. And Lord, how that You've ministered to us. And I pray, Lord, today that You help us to keep our faith and trust in You, looking to You, Lord Jesus, and allowing You to be magnified in our life. Now, Father, I pray for the folks that are here this morning, each one, as we realize and understand 
that we were born to serve the Lord. And Lord, that we were set free, made free for that service. I pray that you minister to everyone in their need. Any any problem, Father, anyone has with a with a weak or soul conscious, Lord, they realize their sin, their things that they've allowed. I thank you this morning that the blood of Jesus is applied to their life as they reach to you. Thank you for meeting every need in this congregation today. In Jesus' name I pray. Y'all stand with me just now. If you need prayer, as the music begins this morning, then you come on and let Jesus minister into your life. Cleanse that conscience if that's your problem or whatever it may be. Maybe you've got physical needs you want us to pray with you about or spiritual needs, whatever you need today. I believe the Lord will touch you and bless you and meet that need in your life. Don't let Satan defeat you if you feel like you have a need that you need to be prayed for. You come on. Don't let him use his junk against you.